0: Hello, everybody. This is John Marvin with another episode of Insight, the podcast for the eye care profession and industry, where we take a look at all things optometric and optical and how they impact what the delivery of eye care and eyewear in our marketplace. Today's guest is Bart Foster. Uh, Bart has been around the eye care industry quite a bit. I'm sure most of you know. Bart and have met him at various meetings. But for some of you that have not, we're going to ask him to, to give a little bit of his background. But thank you, Bart, for being on today and uh, taking a few minutes with us, a little bit of time to, to discuss the eye care business.
1: Absolutely. Happy to be here, John. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet. Now, you are currently in Colorado. Is that correct?
1: I am. I live in Boulder, Colorado with uh, my two kids and my wife. Moved out here about five years ago.
0: And uh, for those in the uh, listening audience that aren't as familiar with you, as many are, uh, would you take just take a little bit of time and give us your background and how you have gotten to the point you are today?
1: Yeah. Well, I started in my uh, in the eye care business, actually, in the eye care division of Novartis, which is now Alcon. And I was selling contact lenses. And I figured I'd get in there and do a three-year marketing stint and then do something entrepreneurial. But I, I got in there and Realized this is a global company, and I had always wanted to live overseas. And uh, Novartis gave me a chance to to live in England, and I handled sales and marketing, uh, sold contact lenses, and handled a lot of the big retailers uh, living in Winchester, England. And that's uh, that's how I got started. And it was over there. Uh, Walmart uh, was one of my larger customers, along with some other big retailers, and they they had a they had a need to f- try to create awareness of, of eye care. And I had an idea that what if we had a vision kiosk, uh, that we could put into retail. And that was shoot February of 2004 is when I had a light bulb moment and, um, essentially incubated a business that eventually became a company called solo health that I started in 2007. And, uh, that became a health and wellness station over time. We scaled to about 4,000 locations and that, uh, yeah, that was, that was a while ago. And, uh, and then five years ago, uh, my wife and I decided to move out to Boulder, Colorado.
0: Oh, I wanted to go back and, and learn a little bit more about solo health. Cause I believe that's where I first met you was in those days. We met over
1: 10 years ago, John. I, yeah, uh-huh. I think you're right. Um, probably around 2007, 2008, when we were looking to pilot the vision screening, uh, kiosk.
0: Yeah. Because I remember being very impressed with the idea And I know that you guys were uh, working on how to execute that, scale it up, and make it marketable. Um, But you shared recently, I was at a meeting where you shared a little bit about that story. And I really think it's a fascinating story um, about entrepreneurism, frankly. And if you you wouldn't mind, take a little bit more time and expound on that if you would.
1: Sure I was uh, I was an intrapreneur. I was inside the eye care division of Novartis uh, and trying to figure out a way we could try to grow the whole market instead of stealing share is how do we drive more eye exams? How do we educate people about the importance of, of eye care? So you know the way the device worked is you'd sit down and answer a series of questions we knew your age, your ethnicity your gender and we would be able to tell you, Uh, you know, because as an example, because you're African-American and you're over 40, you're eight times more likely to have glaucoma. Here's what glaucoma is. And here's five doctors within three miles that accept your insurance. Would you like to schedule an appointment right now? And that was, you know, that was back in 2008, 2009. And we started testing that uh, device, but uh, yeah, it was very much an intrapreneur. And it was clear that to make it successful and to really make it take off as a business, it couldn't be inside the big company. And, and, and that's where, uh, we spun that out. And that was, uh, in 2007, I left Novartis to found uh, solo health and, uh, yeah, left in October of 2007. I was employee number one, <laughs> uh, found it, founded the company and yeah, that's how we got started.
0: And uh, today, you own and manage uh, your managing director for. Am I pronouncing this correctly? Sanitas. 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 Uh,
1: Sanitas Advisors. Okay. And I also have a, a, a venture arm that invests in early stage businesses. Uh, most of my work is is in the eye care business uh, or in the optical industry. As you pointed out, um, one of one of my main clients is the Vision Council, and we're collaborating and working on various content and trying to inject uh, innovation, but also connecting dots throughout the organization and to, and outside of iCare. There's a lot of technology companies that are looking to come into this space that just need to uh, help with connections, and that's the role that I play.
0: You you recently, in this conference I attended, described yourself as a connector. Tell us a little bit about what you mean by that.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. When I this probably goes back when I was 20 years old, my dad gave me a book, uh, dig your well before you're thirsty. Uh, It's by Harvey McKay. And the whole premise is trying to build meaningful and authentic relationships way before you ever need them. And, you know, I started doing that now, you know, 20, 25 years later. So I, I have a number of really, you know, deep and meaningful connections that hopefully can add value to others. So you know, what I try to do and spend my time on is understanding CEO's strategic priorities, both big and small companies, particularly in the eye care industry. And then when I understand what those priorities are and where they're headed as a company, and I overlay that with industry trends and things that I'm seeing, my goal is to help make meaningful connections. Throughout that process, you know, I've been able to really make make a business out of it because I'm able to help connect dots where oftentimes one plus one might equal five. People just don't know it. And uh, so that's a role that I, I'm trying to play in the industry.
0: And how did that contribute to your new role with the Vision Council?
1: Well, that, that started, I uh, I had the idea to come up with an event, and this was last May, that I know you were invited to. You weren't able to participate, but I know you heard a lot about it. And that was a the first innovation summit And we brought in 32 C-level executives in the optical industry, and then six startups. And we discussed and debated uh, what is inevitable in the next five to seven years in our industry, what is absolutely going to happen. Then we had the startups present their biggest challenge. And that's really how this started. It created a lot of Interest and and buzz and excitement. And I think there was some controversy and it achieved all the objectives and more. But what that turned into is some of the larger companies said, Hey, could you work with our board? Could you work with our executive team? We want to do a similar exercise. That then turned into a, a, a few other meetings. And one of those was the Vision Council asked me to do something at their executive summit in Orlando this year. And that was so well received, they said, Look, is there an opportunity to inject this and, and really kind of take it on the road? And that, so that's, that's one of, that's what I'm doing. And that's how that got started.
0: And uh, just, it was in the publications last week. Uh, For those of uh, those that did not see that though, what is your, your officially your role now with the vision council?
1: So it's a strategic advisor to the vision council. The role encompasses uh, really three main objectives. One is on the research side, uh, both understanding what some of the needs are and coming up with new research uh, methodology and products, uh, but also uh, working with existing and new clients, utilizing that research to help them achieve their objectives. Uh, The second is programming and content delivery, particularly around innovation Uh, connecting dots between startups and large companies, helping them understand all the services that are available through the Vision Council. Uh, That will also expand into both the Vision Expo shows and just trying to inject additional content and innovation into those events. And then the third is is general consulting and strategy as it relates to uh, companies maybe not in the optical space. There's a lot of interest, obviously, from private equity and from technology companies uh, that really want to understand more about the, the vision in the optical industry, and what better you know organization to do that than the Vision Council? Uh, so those are the three really key objectives that I'm uh, I'm working with them on.
0: Well, that's great. Congratulations. That that's going to I think just open up tons of opportunity both for um the council but also for members of the council and people in the industry we're going to be right back here in just a moment we've got some more to talk with we're visiting with bart foster and uh, his role and the impact he's having in the eye care industry and we're going to take a short break and be right back
1: america let me tell you about sergeant greg anderson served two tours in afghanistan bronze star and purple heart recipient and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one.
0: Welcome back, Bart. I've got so many questions that have come up just as a result of what you've said already, but I want to go back to um, the the summit that you held last May and, and learn a little bit more about that. What was it that kind of gave the impetus to, to have that summit to begin with?
1: You know, I was getting a lot of calls from startups and early stage companies. Would I be an advisor, an investor, sit on their board? could I help make connections? And at the same time, I had a lot of relationships with CEOs and they were saying, "You know, here's our strategic priorities. Do you know companies that are doing you know, X, Y, and Z? And it just occurred to me that I sit in a very, a very unique spot. And that is, I've been inside big companies, uh, Novartis. I started my career with Kellogg's. So, I understand how uh, their business works. I understand where the budgets lie, how decisions are made. But then I also, because I started my own company and ran that for seven years, I have empathy with founders of these early stage ventures. I understand you know, the, the necessity to try to get strategic partnerships. So the idea really became, how do I pull everyone into a room? And I'm, I'm part of an organization called YPO, which is Young Presidents Organization. I've learned a lot of just methodologies and exercises of how to build authentic relationships and how to be vulnerable and how to share and really create these meaningful experiences. And and I call them kind of purposeful collisions where oftentimes executives in all different uh, levels in an organization, they would love to interact with peers at other companies. There's just not a lot of venues to do that. All the conferences that I've been to over the last, you know, eight to 10 years, for the most part, they're very much uh, kind of someone presenting. There may be a cocktail reception. There's some general networking, but it's very infrequent. There's, There's opportunities to really collaborate and to ideate and to share and to be vulnerable. So that's the experience that I wanted to create. And I didn't know if it would work. I really didn't. I, when I sent out the invites and I said, Hey, this is going to be a conference like no one's ever seen. Uh, it's going to be very small. It's going to be intimate and roll up our sleeve and vulnerable. And we're going to have fun. We're going to get out and go for a hike and it exceeded my expectations. So that was really the catalyst of a lot of what I'm doing today and, and the work with the vision council and others.
0: Well, everything I've heard about it, it was just tremendous. And I regret, I wasn't able to attend. that I, I looked forward to, to one in the future. If you're going to hold another one, I understand that you are, and that this um, is. Do you plan on having it as a kind of an annual event? That's the that's the plan. Yeah. During last year's conference, you talked about holding an exercise. You asked people to sit down and identify what they believed was inevitable in this industry, and I was fortunate enough to be at the. Council's Executive Summit and participated in that exercise with you, and I was blown away, frankly, with the outcomes of that. But what I'd like for, to hear from you is, uh, from your perspective, uh, you've, you've held it at least twice, maybe more, um, but tell us a little bit about the exercise and why you think uh, that is so productive.
1: Yeah. So a couple things and, and how I came up with, you know, the, the whole inevitable concept. I actually I learned from Elon Musk and they, you know, they asked him, how, how do you come up with all these new innovative ideas? And he said, you know, I knew when I was 17 years old, I, you know, sitting on a tractor and I knew that we're not going to have combustion engines forever. Everything, you know, eventually it's going to go electric. And he said, I, I was looking up at the moon and he said, we, you know, we've been to the moon, you know, we're going to go to Mars. And he wanted to accelerate the inevitable. And ever since I heard that, that was kind of the impetus of at least the exercise, but why, and I guess more of the methodology to answer your question and why the exercise worked so well in the way we did it is I use something that I learned from Google and Google ventures, and they use something called think pair square share and it's a way to generate, they've proven 40% more ideas, and you think to yourself for five minutes, then you pair uh, with a person next to you, and then you get into, and you those two pair with another two in that that square part, and then you share as a group. And why that makes so much sense in this particular setting is because oftentimes, and when I do these, you have competitors sitting next to each other, you have uh, industry uh, alliances and different groups and what, what I ask is it's not confidential of what comes out, but what I ask is who said what is confidential and it, it really doesn't even need to be said because because you're sharing as a group and everyone is coming up with these ideas together, it's a col- it's the collective wisdom of 40 or 50 people in a room that then come up with, say the top 10 list. and I'm going to use the same type of methodology and the same exercise to tackle a number of different issues and I like to say, you know, I want to go in and almost double click or dive deeper into specific issues and whether that's, you know, telemedicine or augmented reality or what's Amazon going to do in our space like we can go deep in a lot of these sections and with the collective wisdom of of really sharp executives in our industry I think together we're going to come up with Uh, more ideas, more thoughts, and ways to collaborate to, uh, you know, take advantage of these opportunities. Does it make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, frankly, it was that experience that I came back and I said to Yanelli, I said, I really want to interview Bart because he, uh, you know, you have a different vantage point because I was participating, got benefit and value out of that. But you had the vantage point of observing a variety of the smaller groups, listening to a variety of the discussions. And so that perspective is is, is different and has got a lot of value to it. And, and frankly, from that point, I'm, I'm interested in knowing, first of all, before I get that, uh, you also had a unique way of recording or documenting the outcomes of that session with um, a lady that was uh, an artist, And uh, could you tell us a little bit about why you chose to do that, and uh, what the outcome of that was, the results?
1: Yeah. No, thanks for asking. I have uh, someone on my team that's a graphic recorder, and she uh, used to be a Disney animator. And the way that we facilitate the session is she's able to capture uh, graphically what's being discussed. And it's been proven that this type of methodology and this type of uh, way to capture it's it's much better received. And, and then you have a working document at the end. And we will be circulating pictures and uh, an outcome. And I believe the Vision Council is putting that together. But it becomes a shareable experience. Because of the 50 people in that room, just like you came back and wanted to share it with your colleagues, but that graphic recorder is still a way to really get people an immersive experience and then have a shareable
0: experience after. Well, I, I found it fascinating because it might honestly. My first reaction was, okay, well, this is kind of novel, <laughs> but uh, but when I saw the result of it, I, I saw also what I think is some of the genius in it in that you could have easily published a you know eight page report that no one would take the time to read, everybody would want to, well intended. Okay. But just things get in the way. This, on the other hand, was pictures. And it was easy to, in a very short period of time, to look at the graphics and have a full understanding of the outcomes by looking at pictures. And I just thought that that, after the fact, when I saw the end product, I was just really impressed with that.
1: Yeah, and for those that haven't seen it, it's similar to an infographic, but it's done in real time. The other piece, John, related to, you know, the eight page report that you're you're used you know, most people are used to, this isn't this is the collective wisdom of fifty people in a room that most, you know, a lot of people know. So it becomes something that people are interested in seeing what that group came up with.
0: So now that you've done this at least twice, um, what is Bart Foster's list of things that are inevitable in this industry? <laughs>
1: Well, it's not just my list. It's as hundreds of people that I've worked with. And I can, you know, I can share a few of the things that came out of last year's session. There were a handful of unique things that came out of the vision council session. And then there's 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 some things actually that are outside of the industry that I'm seeing as as trends and things that are happening that I think will impact our industry that, that just aren't on people's radar today.
0: Well, hold uh, on then. We're going to take another short break and when we come back Bart is gonna talk about the things that he has observed and learned from others that he believes are inevitable in this industry over the next five to 10 years. So we'll be right back. Optometry
1: Giving Sight is a global charity that funds the establishment of sustainable eye and vision care services. So people in underserved communities can help themselves. It's more than just giving sight. It's about transforming lives. By donating, you'll provide funding to train and educate people to become practicing optometrists, as well as establish clinics and vision centers that provide local employment and access to affordable services. Optometry Giving sight, transforming lives through the gift of vision.
0: Okay, welcome back. We're talking with Bart Foster who has recently taken a consulting position with the Vision Council. He has uh, a a lengthy career in the eye care industry and as in the last couple of years, has really pushed forward this idea of connecting um, startup companies and new technologies with others in the industry. And we were talking a little bit about um, exercises that he's done with various groups where they discussed what is believed to be inevitable over the next five to 10 years in the eye care business. And I had asked Bart based on all of that experience he'd had kind of what he sees as the things that kind of bubble up to the top. What do you consider to be the things that are most inevitable?
1: Yeah, I think, and, and John, I'm happy to share the document that came out of a couple of the meetings. And, and if you want to put in your show notes or something that somebody can download. Oh, that'd be uh, great. Thank you. Yeah. And I, but I think for, you know, for today, there's a handful that I I think 80% of people would say, okay, that's, that's inevitable. We get it. It's still important to talk about. And I can list off a few of those. And then there's, there's a handful that I think are a little on the periphery that people might say, well, wow, I didn't consider that. So I, I can talk about that too. In terms of the ones that I think are fairly obvious, but I think it's worth stating, and these, again, were the collective wisdom of, of over 100 executives over the last six months, uh, one is regulatory barriers are going to continue to... I, I use the word decline. It's probably not the best word, but it's basically, they're going to result in new business models, new technology, and a more empowered consumer because of these regulatory uh, barriers coming down. And you can look at what's happening in other countries, at the end of the day, it's the consumer and the consumer empowerment that's gonna drive a lot of this change. Uh, so that's, that's one. Uh, technology, of course, is going to pre- provide more convenience, and there's going to be better access, and whether that's through telemedicine or in a kiosk or online, consumers are gonna be more empowered than they ever have been. So you know, delivering great service, great products is going to be important, but that user experience is going to be paramount. Additive manufacturing, people have talked about 3D printing. You know that's going to take some time, but it's it's moving at a much ra- more rapid pace than I think most people realize. Uh, it's easy to kind of brush off and say, "Oh, that's that's a, a ways off." But there's rapid advancements being made in in all parts of the industry, and I think that's that's inevitable. It's going to happen. Do you want me to continue with a few of these?
0: Yeah, that these are great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: so online sales are going to continue to grow. You'll see some consolidation in that. It's it's too early to tell who the winners will be, but I can see two or three players kind of emerging and making it again really convenient to to get products. Um, we we believe, and I say we, you know, collectively, uh, many executives in the industry believe that Amazon's finally going to get into the business. Uh, it's been rumored they've had um, large numbers of people on a eye care project for quite a while. And I think you'll see that come to fruition over the next uh, couple years. And what that will look like, I think, it's still to be determined. I think every industry probably has Amazon on their list as a potential disruptor, but also potential potential to grow the whole the whole market. Uh, continued vertical integration. Obviously, there's a lot of attention on the Astor Exotic merger but I think you'll see other companies uh, taking kind of a similar path, where trying to vertically integrate, which will open up additional opportunities for smaller companies and niche brands uh, private label I think will become more a, a sizable part of the market. I think it could increase the whole the whole market and you know if it's contact lenses or on the frame side I think private label uh, will continue to grow and again this is the collective wisdom of a lot of people myopia I think we've all it, it, finally in the last 18 months it's starting to get the attention on a national and, and world stage of the progression of myopia, especially in children. And I think over the next five years you're going to see a change in the standard of care. And that's going to open up new treatment opportunities, new service models, new products. And then and then a couple that I don't know that are on the radar today, you know, that I think we've talked about the scope of practice and how that's going to change and migrate over time. I think that's going to open up tremendous opportunities for eye care practitioners today to get into other specialties that are related to healthcare that they could perform without uh, a lot of additional uh, training and expertise that would go after the exact same customer that would deliver a convenient healthcare experience. And I that's probably one of the big opportunities that I'm going to spend some more time on and, and investigate uh, over the coming year is uh, is how do we help some of those other industries that are outside of eye care today and how do we use the the ECP channel as a distribution vehicle for both products and services uh, beyond just eye care
0: well you know I think that's that's a tremendous point you're making one of the things that um, I think has been, a, a big move forward and um, is that the vision Council recently created a retail division. For the first time, with that division, you've actually now got an organization that has largely and traditionally been about suppliers and manufacturers sitting down and working together through the council with the customers of those services. One of the outcomes of that, I believe, is going to be on a more organized approach to customers. And I, I really think that you're seeing a coming together of the optical optometry delivery piece of the delivery channel and the supplier and manufacturers. And they both bring different concerns, issues, and so forth. I'm interested in knowing from your perspective and working with that, How would you compare, contrast these different perspectives of optometry and the supplier industry as they're both faced with change and disruption going on in the industry?
1: I think we've got to get in the same room together. I think too often these discussions are siloed and you have different organizations that are trying to push their own agendas and they're paying for their own lobbyists. And at the end of the day we should all think about the consumer. And it's not about as much selling more product and pushing more services or building up barriers and fences to what we're doing. It's about what's the consumer think, care about how can we you know, deliver the right solutions for them. And if we can collaborate and get in the same room together and talk about, hey, these are the things that are inevitable. What are we going to do about it? Uh, I think I think we have a chance to, to grow the whole market, and I'd love to say everyone wins. I think everyone, a lot of people could win. I think there's others that uh, if they're not watching what's going to happen, you know, they could be on the wrong side uh, of that, and that's um, it's too early to tell like who that's going to be. But I, I, I think the overarching comment I'd like to make is the more we can facilitate dialogue and get in the room together and solve these, these challenges and, and tackle these opportunities, the better.
0: Well, and in that, and in your new role with Vision Council, I think you're perfectly positioned to help facilitate those discussions. And I look forward to, to seeing a lot more of you and attending uh, more meetings with you. Kind of like to close here. I'd like to pick your brain and ask if, if today you were a young optometrist coming out of school um, what what do you see, or what advice would you give young optometrists as the big opportunities, both professionally and financially?
1: I would think just don't don't think just about your eyes. Think more holistically. I would say think about your health and wellness, and think about the the rest of. Because so much is tied up obviously in your vision, but think about sports performance and think about audiology and think about cognitive health and think about all of these things have correlations to eye care. And I, you know, one of my predictions is in the next eight to 10 years, it it might not seem like an eye doctor, it's going to appear more holistically and, and more of a health and wellness. And we don't want to go too far on that tangent, but I do think the scope of practice will change. So I would, I don't know if that makes sense to you. It's uh, its fun to talk about the future because it's hard for people to argue with. But <laughs> I, I do, you know, I, I see certain things that, that maybe others don't. Um, and that's one of them.
0: Well, that's great. I really appreciate Tadime that we could go on for more and more because I, I, I've written down a whole list of other questions we'll have you back another time for another podcast. But, Bart, thank you so much for taking the time today to sit down and talk about things that are inevitable, um, and also your role with the the council and how you're going to bring value to the profession and this industry together, both optometry and suppliers and manufacturers. So, thank you very much for being here today.
1: John, when are we going to do a live show?
0: Well, Uh, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) You know, that's one thing I've learned about being with big thinkers is that uh, someone can throw out an idea and pretty soon it becomes reality. So uh, (laughs) I'm going to jot that one down too, Bart. Thank you. And uh, I guess I'll probably see you in an upcoming conference down the road someplace.
1: We'll see you soon. It's always good. Thanks, John.
0: You bet. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Insight with Bart Foster of Sanitas Advisors and now a consultant with the Vision Council. If you would like more information or to get a hold of Bart, you can reach him at email bartfoster at sanitas-advisors.com. That's Bart Foster B-A-R-T-F-O-S-T-E-R at sanitas-advisors.com s-a-n-i-t-a-s hyphen advisors a-d-v-i-s-o-r-s dot com if you'd like to get a hold of us and with an idea, a question or a suggestion for a show please write producer at insight dash podcast dot com well that's all for today's show this is John Marvin and we want to thank you for listening